So, turn your Bibles to, oh, where can we turn our Bibles to? That's not right. Matthew 16 and 24. We'll start there. Matthew 16 and 24 says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in, in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he, has, what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Let's just kind of meditate on that a minute. Pray, and then go right into our, our, our discipleship Bible study. Jesus, we love you. And I pray a very sincere prayer tonight that you would help me to teach your people, that your people would be teachable, that you'd give us ears to hear, eyes to see, Lord, that the wisdom, the truth, and, and the just the very essence of the gospel would be proclaimed that um, not my opinion not our opinion but who you are would be lifted up today Lord that we'd be able to answer this question confidently that there's nothing that we can give up or there's nothing that we could gain that would be worth forfeiting us forfeiting ourselves there's nothing on earth more than you Lord and so tonight that's who we seek and that's what we want and may you uh, <clears throat> through your Holy Spirit, miraculously help us to, to read your word, to be changed by it, challenged by it, comforted by it, and reminded of who you are through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we are still talking about stewardship. And we've kind of concluded uh, what it means to be a steward of money uh, and stuff, possessions. We took about four or five weeks kind of dwelling on that. Um, reason being... Giving is, is first a heart issue. Um, for giving, uh, for some people, giving is really, really hard to adapt into their lifestyle. For other people, it's almost too easy and it's done for the wrong reasons. Um, and so giving first starts with our heart. And so whether we uh, are giving in the wrong way or giving for the wrong reasons, we correct our heart, it'll correct our actions. The Lord is after our heart, not after our money. Um, and our money can be used and stewarded well as we grow as Christians. That being said, there are other things that we are called to steward and to steward well. We talked about the gospel. The very message of Jesus itself is something we've been given. And the Bible talks about us being uh, like jars of clay or, or these broken uh, clay pots that contain a great treasure. And it's not about the pot or it's not about the clay jar. It's all about the message. And so we don't have to be fancy. We don't have to have big words. We don't have to have uh, a theological degree or a master of divinity uh, degree or whatever to be able to convey the message of Jesus. We simply have to realize that the message is greater than us. The power is within the message and the one who has sent it. Our job is to proclaim. Our job is not to fix. Our job is not to, to, to convince. Our job is simply just to complain. 
I like to picture myself just like running through town yelling, Jesus is alive, Jesus loves you, Jesus forgives you, Jesus wants you, Jesus needs you. But rather than doing that in the middle of town and looking like a freak, I just do that here at South Bay Chapel where it's a lot more acceptable. There's the gospel message, then there's life. Life, I, I love life. Life can hurt sometimes. It's filled with pitfalls and trials and all that stuff. But life in general is something that we get to steward, that we get to not just enjoy but to be a part of. We get to be a part of other people's lives. We get to um, and are called to uh, steward that well. Then we have possessions, stuff, whatever we have. You know, there's there's a false uh, theology of giving up um, things to purposefully be poor. Then there's the false theology that God wants everybody to be rich. And the truth is not found in either one of those extremes. The truth is found in being satisfied in Christ, to where stuff is just stuff and money is just money. But Jesus is everything. And so stuff, uh, possessions, and money kind of ran into one another. This week, we're going to talk about husbands and wives. For some, some of you are married, some of you are single, some of you are in relationships, some of you are widows, some of you uh, have been married before and not married now. So we're, it seemingly is a message for just one particular type of people. But as we get to the end of this uh, lesson, you're going to see the universe, universality of it. I think I made that word up. The universalness of it, how it encompasses all people, all of the time. Not just not just married people, but single people, and not just men and not just women, but all all races, all genders, all people, all cultures. This message is for everybody, not just the married people. So the Bible has a lot to say about marriage, and we're gonna take a whole chapter of the Bible and study it tonight. So turn to Ephesians chapter five. We tend to, and this is where we make a lot of our, our mistakes when it comes to Christianity, we see the Bible or we see Jesus or we see the world. That just how we see things is through uh, the lens of our experience. We see it through the lens of our culture. We see it through the lens of the American dream. And then we judge like what the Word says based on those things. We, we consider what is true once we look at it through that lens. And the trick is, or the, the secret that isn't really a secret, is to flip that around and to begin to see the world and begin to see uh, our spouses through the lens of Jesus and who he is. To see spouses through, um, not through what we even desire, but through what the Bible desires for us or what God's word desires for us. So this is sort of, one of the first topics that I talk about in marriage counseling or, or um, pre-marriage counseling, this is one of the first things I teach to people who want to get married. To uh, a guy and a gal will come together, say, hey, we want to get married, can you counsel us? And say, yes. And then we go over these next few verses found in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 22, we're going we're gonna to cut Ephesians in half and we're going to flip it upside down. Not because God got the order wrong, but if I, if I don't do it like that, there's no big aha moment. And that's all I'm going for. Just kidding. We're just going to turn it upside down for just a moment to get into our lesson. So Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2, excuse me, verse 22 starts with Paul addressing the women. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Now right away, if we see that through the American lens, we're going to lose it. What do you mean? 
wives submit to husbands haven't you heard of this organization and that organization in our own culture the way women have been treated uh is only been different for the last few decades um up until just a you know a few decades ago women couldn't vote women could be uh committed by their husbands if they just got tired of them you just drop them off hey this lady's getting to be too much for me commit her she's crazy she's not crazy she just doesn't like her husband being a jerk but the husband had that power men could go and and and, and their what they said was the rule and if the women had anything to say they should just keep it to themselves so when we see this scripture through that lens if we were dogs, the hackles on our back would go up. Ah, oh, no, this is this is trying to keep women down. This is inequality. This is this is taking advantage of uh, women, and now we have to stand up and fight. And okay, that's if we look at it through the lens of our culture. Now there are people all around the world who see this through a different lens. They see it through the lens of their culture, and it says something completely different to them. When they go in, when they're living in a Muslim country, uh, and and they study the laws or the rules of Islam, this is light. This is this is a step up from what they've been told. When you go back to Jesus's time, the fact that he spoke to the woman, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, that was controversial, to put it mildly. The disciples come back and like, hey, why are you talking to that Samaritan woman? See, if you see it through the lens of our culture, you see this, this scripture as being uh, uh, con constricting and, and, and imprisoning. But now look at it as if you were there with the Lord and the Lord's telling you how to see a wife no matter where you lived or how a woman should act rather, uh, no matter where she was married, no matter where she grew up, no matter what time period she grew up in. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and, uh, and uh, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We believe at South Bay Chapel that I am not the ultimate authority here. It is not what Pastor Tony thinks. It is not what Pastor Tony says. It is all about Jesus and what he has said and how he has been revealed through his word. He is the ultimate authority. He is the ultimate pastor. He says of himself, I am the good shepherd. So everything we say, do, teach, preach is underneath Jesus. It's in submission to him. It's in submission to his word. And can I make mistakes and can the staff make mistakes? Absolutely. Sometimes we go left where we should have gone right. Our ultimate goal is seeking the will of the Lord, but we, can, we are still faulty people who can make mistakes. In here, Paul uses the church as an example of what a marriage should look like. He points to the church and say, see, says, see the way the church submits to Christ, her Savior, that's how a wife is to submit to her husband. Now, so to understand what it means to be a godly wife, one must understand how the church must submit to Jesus. And that means that he has authority over us. We do not say what goes. Jesus does. Now, why do we do that? 
Isn't that, shouldn't there be fear that Jesus will take advantage of us? Shouldn't there be fear that Jesus will keep us from what we really want or what is really beneficial for us? No, when we put it in those terms, we realize, oh, okay, Jesus loves his church. Jesus was, and we'll get into this in just a moment, was and is willing to sacrifice himself for the church. Now, if you only look at this chunk of scripture, you could still walk away with, but wait a minute, this is inequality, this is not fair. And I'll, when my son says that, I often tell him, yes, life is not fair. We know that. Life's not fair. And he'll say, well, God's fair. And I say, no, he's not. It's not fair that Jesus would die for my sins, yet he would. That's not fair. God's not about being fair. God's about forgiving and wanting to love you and wanting to pay the ultimate price even for the sin that you committed when he had no, he had no, he had, did not have to, he was not obligated to, yet he chose to out of love. Now, as we go into the second part, we're going to deal with men and husbands. And I have, I have a little more expertise when it comes to being a man rather than being a woman. I just, that's where my expertise is. Here's what I find really, really, I think it's funny. I don't know if the Lord did this on purpose. I'm, I'm a believer that God is not coincidental, that he doesn't do any, leave anything up to chance. I notice that the amount of words that God uses through Paul to speak to men is at least twice as much as to the women. I think that's hilarious. If you've ever been a wife, you've ever had to tell your husband something, you realize that you've got to tell him more than once. And you've got to tell him with more details. Do you know how many times I have gone to the store and forgotten something? Because my And, and it's not due to the lack of my wife telling me what to get, where to find it, what shelf it's on. Men are like that, and being a husband doesn't make it better. It somehow makes it makes that impulse or that way we are it makes it stronger and i believe that the lord intentionally says more to the man not because the man's more important not because the man uh is favored by god but because he knows men quite well now i believe he dresses the women first for a good reason probably to make the men think that they're getting off the hook and then he hits them across the eyes with some instruction but here's what God says to the men. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Paul quotes a scripture from the book of Genesis, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, in light of what we just said to wives... We're dealing with ideals. People are faulty. They mess up. They, they, one of the first things I, I usually hear in counseling is, well, they're not doing their part. We're not focusing on what we should be doing, but rather what the other one should be doing. But the ideal that the Lord has set out for us is that in the same way that Christ loves the church, that's how a husband should love a wife. In a sacrificial way. 
This does not give permission for men to lord over their wives. It does not give them permission to bark orders at them, that they are the king of the castle, that, that what they say goes. It's, it's an order from the Lord to serve the wife that God has given you. And Paul, through the Holy Spirit, points out a, a man, as he loves his flesh, that's how he should love his wife. So often we look at loving ourselves as a bad thing, and it can be. When you, when you are so focused on yourself, whether it's positive and you're arrogant or, uh, or you're, you're, you're self-absorbed, or whether your self-esteem's really low and you're really negative and just, I'm never going to amount to anything, and, and maybe, uh, maybe it's even a clinical depression that you've fallen into, either one of those is an emphasis on yourself that's way out of whack. But the answer is not complete neglect of ourselves. And that's, that's often what, we're, what we are taught through books and television and counselors, to neglect ourselves completely. As much as being narcissistic and arrogant or, or self-deprecating and, and, and low self-esteem is, is, is a sin, so is neglecting oneself completely. There is a time, we just said in Matthew uh, chapter 16, that you have to crucify yourself, carry your cross and all that. But we must look at ourselves from time to time to make sure we're being taken care of. That we are not, we are not being fooled by the enemy or, or our flesh. That we are uh, actually living according to God's word. Jesus is asked, what's the, what's the ultimate commandment? He's asked us in several of the gospels, but but he asks, answers first with what the Jews called the Shema. It's, it's, a, it's a prayer that they would recite several times throughout a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That would be the first command that is, that is the most important, Jesus said. And then he backs that up with the second is just like it, that you must love someone or love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, the golden rules, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's not a complete neglect of oneself. That's being cognizant of the needs of others and the needs of yourself. To love another person, you must also take care of yourself. You can't focus only on yourself. You can't focus only on them. It has to be this, this give and take, living, breathing relationship that goes back and forth. If you hate yourself, sacrificial love for your spouse will only lead to resentment. It will only lead to bitterness. And so we have to, as men, we have to, we have to be okay with ourselves. Not okay with sin. We go to God to refine us and all that. And we strive and we want more and that sort of thing. But if we can't love who we are, we're going to have a really hard time loving our wives as we love ourselves. Or if we do that, it's not going to be good for the wife. Paul takes some time to preach to the wives and to preach to the husbands, to teach them that there's this cycle, there's this, there's this living organism of a marriage where the wife submits to the husband, but the husband is serving the wife. And it's this cycle where, where ideally when both are doing their role, you see marriage flourish and grow, and it becomes an example to other marriages. People look at them and say, wow, I, that's, that's what I've been looking for. So often, if, if we see marriage through our American lens, what we see is two people 
who see each other as the answer to all of life's problems. I'll get married to you, and then I won't have to make sandwiches anymore, or I won't have to uh, do my laundry, or or I won't have to work because you will work, and, and we'll get married, and everything will be fine. And then the married couple finds out that's that's an empty promise, and so we'll have kids, and that will make everything better. And then they find out, well, no, kids are just more work, and we just brought more people into the problem. And then they decide, well, then divorce. Divorce must be the way to make this all work. And they find out, nope, they're just going to do it all over again with another person. Never, never, ever looking towards the Lord to cause them to draw closer to one another. Now, why did we chop this up and why did we flip it upside down? Here's why. Go to verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 5. As you go there, I'm going to finish out Ephesians 31 and 33. Verse 32, Paul says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The ultimate goal of marriage, and this is why this message is universal, the ultimate goal of marriage is not that guys would have a wife and wives would have a, a, a husband, but that God may have a tangible evidence of what Jesus has done on this earth for his people. The ultimate goal of marriage is more than just multiplication of people. It's more than just uh, you meeting somebody and, and living a life with them. It's to glorify God and to show us what the church should look like. A godly marriage, a marriage that is built on the principles of the Bible and what God has set forth, shows us what the church should look like. And so on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night like tonight, church should look a lot like a marriage. How we do church is directly correlated to what marriage is like. Giving and receiving. Being served and serving. Loving and being loved. Not just amongst each other, but God to us and us to God. The ultimate goal of marriage is not just your needs. It's what God wants to do through you here. Now, going back to Ephesians chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 1, says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper amongst saints that's us we're the saints let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving excuse me verse 5 says for you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of christ and god let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil therefore do not be foolish but understand that the will of the lord uh, understand what the will of the lord is do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, it's a lot of scriptures. I hope you wrote down these references. I hope you'll read them over the next few days and meditate upon them and question the Lord and ask the Lord, why did I flip that upside down? Because if we are not stewarding ourselves, then we are not properly stewarding our spouses. And if we are not being a biblical example of what marriage should be, then we are not stewarding marriage well to where we can be an example to the church. We must read through this, this here, not as a laundry list of do's and do not do's, but to understand that there is a standard in which God has set. And that standard is, is, is all-encompassed in, in the very first verse. Verse 1, therefore be imitators of God, not of man, not of your pastor, not of a spiritual leader, not of a book writer, not of evangelist, but be an imitator of God as beloved children. My children dress up all of the time. They love it. My son loves dressing like Captain America and the Hulk and Iron Man, and my daughter loves to dress like any Disney princess that she possibly can. They, they become imitators of these people they become imitators of these people they've seen on tv or in the movies and they do it just like little kids with all of the imagination with all of the joy with all of the 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 um the wherewithal as if they were those people now god is not telling us to be god or to think that we are god he's saying look at what he has done be imitators of what god has done sacrificially lovingly servingly and do that as kids like a kid would do. That means come in this joyful reverence, that a joyful submission, a, an innocence, not a naivety, not a willing ignorance, but, but in an innocence that's only found in Jesus. I, I, love, I love the idea of coming to our Father as a child because... I know some of you had bad relationship with dads, and this is this is kind of where I lose you. And I, and I would ask that you would just look to the Lord and not put on Him what man has done to you. Um, and it sucks that that happened. But I know that when my children come to me and they've done things um, for me, I know that for me it, it, my heart swells when when my son does something for me. You know, brings me uh, my backpack or brings me. Uh, you know, my phone or my iPad or something, or or brings me uh, a drink, or when my daughter, uh, you know, draws me a picture, or she just brings something to me. It's not about what they've done for me. I mean, physically. I mean, if I was a really judge, I'd sit there and go, well, that's not a very good drawing. Doesn't look anything like Captain America. Doesn't look anything like a princess. But when they come to me as children, I, I sit back and go, wow, they love me. I'm, I'm, as a human, I, I'm humbled by it. I'm like, man, I, I can't screw this up. I, I can't, I can't take advantage of this. I can't neglect this. What if I'm having a really bad day? I don't know if you guys ever have really bad days. Sometimes I have really bad days. It'd be a real jerky thing for me to do to be like, I'm having a bad day. Get away with me. Get away with the, the pictures. I don't want, I don't want a glass of water. 
You can't purchase what I want to drink right now. That's a joke. They're not good tonight. I'm sorry, folks. But when they come to me as children and I see them, you know, it melts your heart and all that. But that's what the Bible says. That's how we come to the Lord. Not answering all the problems, not coming with perfection, just coming in love to him. Lord, I submit to you. You see, if we can't get verse 1 down, the rest of the verses 20 through 20, or excuse me, 2 through 21, they don't matter. You might not be sexually immoral, but if you don't come to the Lord as a child, you've lost. You might say, Lord, but I but I, I didn't sleep around. I didn't I didn't commit sexual immorality. And you'd be standing in your own self-righteousness. But if you come as an imitator of God, if you come as a child would come to their father, then you come in a way that has all the rest of us kind of unfold from you. So what is the cost and what is the reward? The cost of submission by wives is being vulnerable. That's tough. For some women, being vulnerable is tough because at one point they were and someone hurt them. More, more often than not, what I find is people who become vulnerable eventually get hurt. I have not yet found a way to be vulnerable and guarded at the same time. Vulner being vulnerable is is basically saying, you know what? I'm I'm asking. I I am putting myself out there, knowing that the potential is somebody might hurt me. I started to say we're asking for it. We're not asking for it. But what we're doing is saying we have made a calculated risk. I have decided that loving this other person, that serving them, while they have every bit of potential to take advantage of me, they might see Christ in my actions. So the cost for wives and for husbands both is just being vulnerable. Just exposing oneself and saying, this is, this is who I am. And, and, and I'm going to serve you if you're a husband. I'm going to serve you and, 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 and sacrifice myself for you. And you might take advantage of me for that. You may not reciprocate love back to me. But yet the command is there and the commitment has been called for. It's vulnerability. You cannot go into a marriage wanting to be uh, wanting to enjoy marriage and all of its uh, joys that it does have and not be vulnerable. Church is the same way. For folks who come in and they're guarded or they, they, they aren't willing to reach out to other folks, you usually see people who are isolated. No matter how much they come to church, they're not really a part of the church because they haven't been willing to be vulnerable with other people. Certainly haven't been vulnerable before the Lord. They come in, they, they, they hide, and then they wonder why things aren't changing. Many of them just haven't been open before the Lord. Maybe they've been hurt. Maybe they did that once and somebody hurt them. Once again, that's not the Lord hurting them. That's the people of God hurting them. And, and, and I would even go as far as to saying maybe they weren't even the people of God. The cost is, from this side of it, very high, seemingly. For for husbands, it's the willingness to make a lot of mistakes. I've met wives who are afraid of letting their husbands make mistakes in leading. Well, I'll just do it. He'll just mess it up. Okay, but that's why you have the relationship you have. Well, he's going to mess it up. I know. Let him mess. How do you learn stuff if you don't mess it up first? 
How do you learn stuff if you don't hit your thumb with the hammer five times first? Maybe I'll swing the hammer a different way or hold the nail differently or just try a different technique. Remember? Even the Lord used more words for the men than for the women. It's part of who we are. We have to mess up sometimes to learn the right. I'm not saying you let them drive off the road not say anything. A lot of giggling. I like when I, I like when I hit the cord and it's like, oh, that was the one right there. But it means relinquishing some of that control that you think you have. You don't have that much control as you think you do. But allowing the husband to lead is sometimes a woman's hardest battle because it's vulnerable. They might not spend the money right. They might not pay the bills on time. They might say the wrong words. Let me just take all the worry out of it. We are and we have and we do all the time. But the command to be submissive to the husband is still there. And that is your cost. And men, you're going to have to step up. The cost is, is being vulnerable, th vulnerable through being a servant leader. That's hard because you know whose shoulders everything is going to fall on? It's going to fall on you. If you make the decision, you have to be okay with that. Everybody has to be okay with that. And if it goes wrong, then it was up to you, right? If it goes right, you get to give all the praise to Jesus. If it goes wrong, you get to say, man, I really messed that up. That's vulnerability. That's being open. That's, that is the essence of being a good husband. Jesus has decided to serve, not be a slave to, but serve a lot of people who are going to take advantage of him. Right? Do we take advantage of the Lord's good nature? All the time, right? We do stuff like he's not even there. When we know that he is, if I asked you, is the Lord there all the time, you'd say yes. And then if I asked you if you sin, you'd say yes. And we would not be able to come up with a logical answer as to why those don't correlate. We wouldn't, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a logical answer for that. But Jesus, Jesus chose to do that because he loves us. But what's the reward? The reward is a small glimpse into what heaven will be like. And I don't take this part lightly. I don't want you to either. When, when you see a husband and a wife and you watch them and how they you – know, you can't see the times where they're, you know, when, when there's nobody else around. But you see them in public. You watch them from afar. You see how they interact. Truths come out. You, you see how they really respond to one another. You get to see a little glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. You get to see, uh, you get to see a, a, a glimmer of what it's going to be like when we're in heaven and, and God is our God and we are his people. We get to – and if you're on the, the side of that where people are watching, you get that responsibility, but you get that joy of knowing that you're, help, you're helping preach the gospel through your actions. On top of that, you get to help other people. There's this – I don't know about you guys, but when you, you, when you got married, did you just think – that you just get it all right like you see people mar get married and when you're a kid anyways they get married they go they buy a house they get a car they have kids they get a dog they have cookouts and fireworks on the fourth of july and great christmases and you just think it just all happens magically then you get married and it's like oh man that was a conscious choice that was there's a lot of effort into one, one christmas i realized how much stuff my mom and my grandma did as a kid to make christmas happen Christmas isn't magically the ham. The ham or the turkey doesn't get in the oven all by itself. I remember Thanksgiving, my mom waking up at like four in the morning to put the turkey in the oven. I remember when it was my turn to finally cook a Thanksgiving dinner. I was just so like 
I'm not going to wake up at 4 o'clock. We're going to eat at 7. Like, we're never going to – I'm never going to get up on time. It, I remember it looking so so arduous to cook this turkey, going in there constantly, checking on it, make sure it was perfect. Man, that's going to be up to me now? Getting married doesn't just fix everything. It takes a lot of messing up, and it takes a lot of folks who have been through that already sharing their wisdom with others. Finding out, yep, I, I made all those financial mistakes too. You know what? I made those I made those silly choices. I said the stupid things I shouldn't have said. I, I, I reacted out of the moment rather than what matters eternally. I reacted out of my pain rather than my deep love for my spouse. We can help others by being transparent in the struggles we go through. I think as a culture right now, especially generations kind of after me, we share everything. You, know, you go on Facebook and you know what somebody's having for dinner and you know that they're washing their laundry and you know that you know they're having marital problems or their boyfriend broke up with them or they don't like some movie or they really like jelly beans. I mean you just know everything about them. However, it's nothing of substance. It's nothing that really matters. It's nothing you need to know. Like, I don't care if you have jelly beans at 1030 at night. I mean, I share the same stupid stuff, so I'm not like – it's the whole finger-pointing thing with three coming back. I, I do the same thing. But there's – as much as that might seem transparent, it's really not. It's just oversharing. But tra being transparent is allowing others to see into your life a little bit. I don't think, I don't think everybody should see everything. But I think there are things that we can share, especially married couples or those who have been married before, that we can share with younger couples or, or just with people who are single or thinking about marriage that can help them avoid a lot of the pitfalls we went through or help them glorify Jesus in those pitfalls as well. So before we can be the husband or wife that God's called us to be, before we can steward our wife or husband well, we've got to go back to the beginning, back to the basics, give our life to Jesus all over again. Lord, help me to glorify you through all things. Replace my desires with yours. Help me to look at sin as you look at sin. Help me to desire what you desire. Help me to have the words, and when I don't, have the grace from whoever I'm talking to. Help me to not to not forget that you were there all the time. Help me to, you know, should you be married or get married? Should you, you know, should the Lord bless you in that way? Help me to be the best husband or wife that I can be. Help me to love this person as I love myself. Help me to submit and help them, you know, and even pray for, you know, as, as wives, pray for your husbands. As I submit to them, may they see Jesus. Or excuse me, may they see the church and may, may, they, be, may they be motivated through that. I want to pray. Just take a couple minutes. Lot to lot to think about tonight. Lot to to go through. I would ask that you wouldn't challenge you with reading Ephesians chapter five. Uh, not coincidentally, guess what happens in chapter six? Spiritual warfare, being attacked by the demonic, going through uh, battles that are not of flesh and blood, but of principalities and powers that are beyond what we even fathom. And I believe that the Lord in his uh, divine providence has not put those in order that way uh, accidentally. 
or coincidentally, I think that he has put those in place because we cannot be prepared for one before we are prepared for another. We cannot handle battles of the demonic as you read in chapter 6. It's a, it's a pretty big chapter. If we can't handle the battles that we're kind of in now, the physical ones, the ones that we can see, the, the, the trials that we're going through now. And so to prepare us, the Lord gives us opportunity. So I want to pray with you, and then we'll take prayer requests, and then we'll go home. All right? All right, let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, uh, gosh, eh, preaching on something as big as marriage is not something we can do in just 45 minutes or however long we've been here. Lord, I've hit just some highlights tonight, and I'm praying that you would spark in us a hunger for more. A hunger that isn't just satisfied with tonight's Bible study, that, that our hunger is just kind of peaked or, or our interest is peaked with, with this little bit that we've talked about tonight. I trust that in all of this that Jesus has been revealed a little bit more, that as we look at husbands who glorify you, that we would see uh, you who have come to, to save your church. And as we see wives who submit to a loving husband, that they would see uh, the example of the church submitting to Christ as their Lord. I thank you that that everything that we do, whether it's something as big as marriage or maybe just maybe just a kind word we share with somebody, has eternal ramifications. There is nothing we do that does not have eternal weight. Even wasting time affects eternity somehow. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to steward the relationships you've given us, including marriages, and steward them well. Help us to focus on ourselves, not in a way that, that makes us the focus of our lives, but in a way that, that we can love ourselves so that we might love other people as we love ourselves. That if we are hurt and broken and, and injured spiritually or emotionally, Lord, that you would bring healing to us. That you would, that you would change, not the past, Lord, but change our direction. Uh, that maybe the past is set for us. That instead of going towards our destruction, we would go towards you. Lord, I pray for these things. These are big prayers. But Lord, I, I, I think that these are the best prayers we can pray right now. I pray for the marriages of our church. They are hurting. They are struggling, Lord. And there are so many things going on with them. But we're praying that they would see you above all things. That they would feel your love and they would know what to do. In, in the distress and in the in the just the hard bad times they're in for those marriages that are seemingly doing okay lord may you help them to to not be focused on uh fixing each other or making problems but to again focus on you to see you to serve and to love and to respect and to submit lord if there are husbands taking advantage of their wives may may you correct them and rebuke them if there are wives who are taking advantage of their husbands, may you correct them and rebuke them as well. Show them what they are to do, and, and we lift them up to you in that way. And Lord, we thank you that uh, marriage is more than about a, a, a guy and a girl getting together and getting married and having kids. It's all about you and your son and your church and and what you're revealing to us. Paul says it's a, it's a profound mystery, and I agree, Lord. Marriage at times is a profound mystery. But when I look at your church and what you're doing, it makes a lot more sense. Jesus, speak to us. Show us and guide us. In your name we pray.
Amen.